0: once more, and to breach, dear friends. The word impossible is only in the dictionary of fools. If my descendants wish to be as strong as I was, they must study patience. The Ultra Working Podcast. All great events hang by your hair. The man of ability takes advantage of everything and neglects nothing that can give him a chance of success. Let's talk about math, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about math. I'm Sebastian Marshall. I'm one of the co-founders here at Ultra Working. I don't know if that's a very good intro, but if you're listening to it, we rolled with it. Uh, Today, we're gonna go a little bit deep on a simple concept, but I want you to get a really deep understanding of it and really get your mind around it from multiple angles, which is, I think there's some really bulletproof arguments in favor of serializing projects. That means doing one major project at a time until it's complete and not spinning up other projects at the same time when you can help it. Um, There's plenty of counterarguments and nuances, but we got three very simple mathematical models you don't need to know. Advanced, inverted, non-Euclidean you know, imaginary number, super calculus, geometrical, whatever. I mean, it's not super complicated math. It's pretty simple. You'll be able to get your mind around it really easy. This is like middle school math that we're going to use. And before we get into it, I want to give a lot of credit uh, to Zach Obrant, who um, I did some work in the nonprofit world with at Give, Get, Win some years ago. I think he was the one that had a lot of these original conversations with and fleshed it out. My co-founder, Kai Zhao, and I really deeply explored this and put a bunch of math and operations around it. And Lucas Cavaro, who is uh, on the data team here at UltraWorking, part-time while he does his PhD. And he and I had some good conversations about this recently. So shout out to Zach, Kai, and Lucas. I'm working with some great people here intellectually. Um, So all credit to them. So the argument basically goes like this. There's a lot of very uh, effective people locally at doing work. They can sit down, they can have a good work session. And you know, if that's not you right now, that's okay. We can work on that. We'll talk about that on other shows. But a thing that really bites ambitious, highly motivated, highly effective people at locally working is getting kind of bogged down in project hell where there's multiple projects going on and a lot of bad things happen. And if that's you, this might change your life. If that's not you um, and you're really dialed in and, and you got a good rhythm and routine, this still might be really useful because this will help you explain this to more junior or younger people in your life, um, and you'll be able to really just illustrate the points very quickly and logically to convince people to serialize projects the vast majority of the time. So again, when we say serialized projects, we mean work on one project um, until it's fully complete, uh, and sometimes that means not starting another project even if you have downtime. And we'll talk about what to do in those times um, instead of working on multiple projects at the same time whenever you can help it, and. There's three arguments for this that I think are really bulletproof on math. So the first one is we'll call it the broken ankle argument, right? So let's say you have four or simplify. Let's say you've got four projects you're working on, or four projects you want to do. So maybe you want to write a book, write a second book, record a music album and, and do a fourth thing. Or, you know, let's say you're, you know, doing X and product development and you're doing why in, you know, a different type of product development, what you know, whatever, right? So you've got some projects. And, and this organizationally, this is trickier, but, but speaking on an individual level to start, um, kind of goes like this. You've got four projects. To simplify, let's say they all take 100 hours to complete, right? So it's going to take you 100 hours to get a project done of work time, and you can work 40 hours a week good work on one of your projects, let's say. So if you have four projects running at the same time, right? So you put 10 hours a week into each of your four projects, then week one, you'll have 10 hours in project A, 10 hours in project B, 10 hours in project C, you know, week two, you'll have 20, 20, 20, you know, and so on. Um, And then all four of your projects will complete after week 10, right? So if you have 40 hours a week, you put. 10 hours into each of four projects, in 10 weeks, all four projects will be done. And this still applies if one project's 10 hours and one project's 200 hours, though, you know, we're simplifying a little bit of the math. So you put in 10 hours in each project and they all get done in 10 weeks. Well, what happens if you break your ankle in week eight? All four of your projects fail. It's any sort of catastrophic risk. You get sick, someone in your family gets sick, or or maybe a great opportunity just drops in your lap that's so good that you should drop everything. Elon Musk shoots you an email and says, I've been keeping an eye on you and I I'd like you to be kind of my right-hand person and come work with me, drop all your other stuff. Right? Um so there's all sorts of reasons where your whole slate of projects will get wiped out at one time. And this happens. I know some some lovely people that, you know um, had a major health issue or, you know, uh, you, are having a child and then baby's born premature and things like that. I've I've really seen this in people's lives where all of their projects fail and sometimes outside for reasons completely outside your control, like things go wrong in life. It happens, right? So if instead you had done one project at a time, you would have put 40 hours in a project A in week one, 40 hours in a project a in week two, and then you'd have completed project a midway through week three and you'd be done. With it, And then if it's fully done, it's fully shipped, then it can't fail because it's done, right? Then you start on project B, you get 20 hours in week three on that, you get 40 hours in week four, you get 40 hours in week five, and then project B is done. And now project B is not at risk, um, and so on. And if you break your ankle in week eight, you've gotten project A, B and C totally shipped out the door and whatever else. So, you know, I mean, practically speaking, I mean, this applies a lot to freelancers and we'll talk about, oh, but all my clients wanna see things moving a little bit. You know, it applies a lot. So if you get sick, if you break your ankle, if something goes wrong um, and your whole slate of projects fail, the less projects you have in a partially completed state, the less things fail and the more project successes you have. I think this is basically a bulletproof argument, right? The longer projects exist on a slate, If something catastrophic happens and all of them fail or are indefinitely postponed, then things that are completed and out the door and done don't fail because they're done. Whereas things that are work in progress might fail. Okay, that's the first one. Second argument, call this the compound interest argument. So everybody knows about compound interest in finance. If you get some money from investing, then you can reinvest that and that makes more money and good things happen. And compounding affects a lot of things in life, right? So Again, let's say where we've got four projects. Whenever you ship a project, a bunch of good things will happen. You'll get all the results and gains of those projects. And, you know, presumably you can use some of those gains for having more success on your next projects, right? So if you were, you know, working on a, a portfolio right? So you're working on a variety of portfolio assets to kind of show off that you're good at what you do. Well, as soon as you get one out there, you'll get some feedback on that. You'll get some people might be interested in working with you. You might get some offers to do cool things. It might even, when you would have gotten a project C, you might even have better things available to do, but even if not, you'll have more things available. So to pick kind of a silly example, um, let's say somebody decides that they want to throw six parties, six months from now, all in one week. Now, there might be a good reason to do that, maybe there's some major festival in your country or something, you're trying to synchronize that, you're have a party every day or something, but you could see that it'd be kind of dumb to spend six months planning six parties when you could throw one party in the first month, And then if people come and they have a good time, they'll tell their friends. You can figure out who's good on the guest list. You figure out what worked and what didn't work. Oh, maybe nobody was around to help clean up the trash afterwards. You can figure out how to do that better on party B. You know, you can invite the same people who had a good time at the first party. You know, you can kind of learn from those lessons. And you build up the kind of people that want to come to your party and do cool things. So, you know, having a party in month one and a party in month two and a party in month three is probably better than having six parties in six months because the compounding gains of the lessons learned, people having good times, they tell their friends that your parties are really cool um, and things like that um, go a long way. Right? If you're doing any sort of work that's paid on completion, which is a dangerous thing to do if you're a freelancer or contractor, but they'll say you're stuck with it for some reason. Once you ship a project, you get the cash back, you can use that to you know reinvest, potentially to to hire some people to help with parts of it, um, to buy better tools, uh, to potentially put that into some sort of marketing or advertising. Um, and so on. So the sooner you get projects done, right, and if they're in serial, they get done sooner, then the better off you are. All right. So that's the compounding argument. The sooner things get done, the better off you are, the more good things you have happening. Third argument. So those first two assumed that putting it's 100 static hours into a given project, and then it's done. Um, In reality, actually, the amount of time you spend on a project will vary tremendously. So for sure, there are both carrying costs and switching costs to projects, right? So carrying costs, will borrow that term from industry. Um, that's when you have inventory, right? So you pay money for inventory. It sits around a warehouse. You have to have like the warehouse, whatever, heated or cooled so your, your goods in the, the warehouse don't rot or perish or whatever. You got to have security guards so your stuff doesn't get stolen. You know, you got to have the stuff lying around. Somebody might drop it and break it. You own it. It's your inventory. It broke, right? So just like having cars in your warehouse having food in your warehouse having stuff in your warehouse is expensive if you finance it if you borrow money to do it you're paying interest on it whatever right it's carrying costs and i'm for sure there's carrying costs to projects on mental bandwidth you have to think about them you have to make sure they don't fail you might you know go grab, uh, you know, a shower. And if you have one project, you probably think about your one project. If you have four projects, you'll randomly think about it. Your attention will be kind of diffuse. You might have a good idea, but you can't really act on it um, and things like that. Likewise, context switching has become a known phenomenon where it takes time to reorient when you're switching activities and what you're doing, right? So if you run four projects in parallel, that would all be a hundred hours. If you single test them, they might be a little slower, they might be 100, 500 and 10, 120 hours to get each of them done. Because you're like, what exactly was I doing here? And you have to reread all of it, you have to go back through it. Um, at various times when I was younger and foolisher, I would work on multiple pieces of writing at the same time. And I'd have to go back and reread the whole piece if it had been a week or two since I read it. Whereas if I keep working on it every day until it's done, then I publish this whatever essay or whatever I'm writing, then then that's straightforward, right? So you know working multiple books, multiple essays at the same time, usually a bad idea. Um, and, you know, a lot of times college students, right, if they have, like, multiple term papers uh, due in their classes, they will work on all of their term papers a little bit, right? Whereas you'd be much better off just picking one, getting it done, running by the professor, seeing like, hey, is this all right? Cool, can I just turn this in earlier or just putting it in the drawer to turn in? And then you don't have to go back and keep refreshing that subject matter, keep reorienting on the context whenever you do it. So I'm pretty sure that the amount of labor time that goes in a project goes up when that's spread across multiple times, when the project sits for a week or two before you act on it from time to time, when you're jumping around between different activities. So it actually takes longer in terms of labor hours to get projects done if you're jumping around between them. And that's one of the things, as a side note, I I like being an executive, I like being responsible for a lot of different things. That's one of the things that bums me out is sometimes like something. Urgent really does come up, and I got to deal with it for two or three days. And if I was working on some sort of inventing or design um, or research or creative thing, then I got to like go back through all my notes and reorient the con. It just does take longer. I I do time tracking. I can tell you definitively that when I single task projects, um, they go faster in terms of labor hours. Sometimes much faster. Um, this is broadly agreed upon. This is not a controversial point among people that do a lot of stuff. So I think those are three bulletproof arguments. The one's the broken ankle catastrophic risk argument. Sometimes your whole slate of projects will fail. If projects are already done, they can't fail. The second, there's a compound interest argument. The faster you ship projects, the, you'll get some gains in between them. You'll get some lessons learned. You'll get some resources and things like that. And third, projects actually take longer in terms of labor hours. When you jump between them, you have to reorient on the context. You have the carrying costs of the project and things like that, right? If you're doing some sort of freelancing or contract work, if you got the whole thing, you're doing web design, you got a whole website done, it's installed, you've been paid for it, it's totally done, the client is happy, then the likelihood of getting a dramatic scope change request goes way down. And they might ask you, can you tune this thing up a little bit, but then it's kind of a favor at that point, right, so if you've done it, it's totally shipped, it's good, There you go. Speaking on the catastrophic risk point as well, individual projects also have risks. Sometimes if you're working with an organization, you're doing a project with them, sometimes there'll be a leadership change in there and then all the projects on their slate will get canceled. So it's not even just in your own life, right? I think those are three bulletproof arguments. Here's a few non-mathematical arguments and then we'll talk about, you know, some objections to this and then what you should practically do. So non-mathematical arguments, there's the subtly procrastinating while lying to yourself argument. I don't have a clever name for it. That's just what it is. It's not pleasant. Um, everything gets kind of hard towards the end. That's when you have to make compromises. That's when you have to kind of buckle down and kind of get in a Terminator mode. There's a, a bunch of kind of witty quotes, like when a project's 90% done, it's half finished. That's not quite true, by the way, but, but there's something there. And as soon as you hit the hard point on something, well, it's like, let me jump into the next thing that's, that's easy and enjoyable and fun, and let me let the context... That's already hard rot and let this become a monster in my life. Right. So if you're only doing one thing and you're not gonna do anything else until it's done, you're like, I just got to put this thing out. Cause I want to get onto the next thing. Right. So, and you can't lie to yourself. Right. So if you're going to like work on the one project or do things that are not the big thing in your life, then you know what you're doing. Right. So when you pick one thing and you jam on it until it's done, then you know, and you don't start the next thing until it's done, you're going to get it done faster and you can't put off the hard parts of it, um, and lie to yourself and say, I'm being productive. Look, I didn't finish my first poem, but I'm working on another poem. As I've written some poetry. I've done that. Like, don't do it. It's bad. Right. So there's a, the fooling yourself argument. You gotta be careful around that. Um, there's, there's something Kai talks about a lot, kind of a honeymoon window on projects. So whenever you start, uh, um, something new, there's a boost of motivation um, and excitement, and, and things are cool, and that lasts for however long it lasts. Um, a really sweet spot in life, and and Kai and I should probably sit down and do a show on this, um, just on this effect because it's really powerful. If you can. Complete projects still within the honeymoon window, they don't become a slog, they don't become hard. So, the subjective experience of getting them done is a lot better and a lot more pleasant in those cases. Not always possible, but if you can get that, it's great because you're just like, hey, I'm hyped to do this. I got it done. Wow, that was great. Let me go to the next thing. I'm hyped to do this. I'm on it. It's great. Whereas if you have multiple projects in serial lying around in your life uh, for many months, probably the novelty, the excitement wears off. Maybe the original interest in the subject matter or why you were doing it has worn off. And, um, you know, then it's just subjectively a lot harder. Even if it's the same hours, it's less pleasant. Uh, So that's worth thinking about. There's the getting good at finishing things argument, right? So again, 90% done, half finished. At the end of project, you have to review, right? There's a couple things that come up. The first thing is your original scope was very likely wrong. And it very likely had some very extra ornamental fun, like, oh, this would be super cool if we did this, but like we can't because it's too expensive or it's impossible. And like looking at that, reevaluating and saying, all right, where do we downscope and make this easier is important. Secondly, um, there's what's called discovered work, comes up in projects, right? So you thought that something was totally unnecessary, and then you realize when you're developing an Electron that because they ship with WebKit browsers, getting Windows to talk to each other is not easy, and you have a multi-windowed thing, and the performance sucks, and you're, like, trying to work around, and why is this so hard in 2019? Not that we're developing any Electron, and not that that's a personal experience. But, uh, you know, that's discovered work, and you have to deal with it. And the minute that you have discovered work, and it's kind of unpleasant... Uh, and you move on to the next thing, you're kind of teaching yourself a bad habit here. It's, it's not good. Um, so the simplest example of discovered work, by the way, is let's say you're going to build a house, and you're like, okay, you know, first we're going to excavate the ground. That's going to take three days. Then we're going to pour the foundation with cement. It's going to take a day. Then it's going to dry for two days. Then we're putting a framing, whatever, right? And you start digging, and you realize all around the land where you bought your little plot of land to build a house, it's all clay except yours has rock underneath you know, the ground. And so you're gonna need to dynamite it to excavate, right? If you still want to build your house, it's discovered work. The rock's been there forever, right? It's been there since time immemorial. And there's a lot of things like that in projects. And it's actually nice when they come up early in the project and you realize it, but sometimes they come up late and you realize, oh no, we're, we're actually going to have to, you know, do this work around to make uh, the software work on, on windows correctly or, or on Mac, if you're developing on windows. Oh, like actually as, as part of this, I'm going to need to register this and that or like, oh, I forgot that I need a, a, you know, a cover design for my book, you know, so these things come up. Um, Again, if you're working on one project at a time, you've got the the time, the bandwidth, you haven't started the next thing yet, you're not under time pressure on the next thing, and you get good at finishing things and dealing with them. That includes downscoping unnecessary details, including the discovered work and stuff like that skill. These are actually just skills that you get better at, and and macro finishing things is a skill. You practice that. When you have only one project, you're not moving on until the the next one, until that's done, then you get better at these things. And then, you know, this is kind of a restatement of compound interest, but I I do think shipping stuff attracts both help and luck. So people that put things out into the world, um, other people just want to help them more. It's just categorical. Just, you start doing productive, good things. People want to help you. So you might be doing things wrong. Um, and they're not quite great yet, but when you're just putting stuff out in the world, you're shipping things, you're doing that reliably Then your person's doing stuff. And like, because not a lot of people do a lot of stuff when you start doing that, people just want to help you. I also think, you know, the colloquial definition of luck, you're more likely to get some when you just put stuff out of the world. That just seems to be true. It's not luck, but you know, shipping stuff attracts help and luck. You serialize projects, they get out faster, people want to help you and you get luckier. But okay, people have some objections to this, right? So we're gonna go through five objections. One, the world's not that simple. Two, I must do these multiple things. Three, I like a change of pace. Four, there's downtime in these projects. I should do something, right? And five, I can get away with this because I'm talented enough. Let's go through these. I think these are the common objections. The first one is the world isn't that simple. Um, Yeah, of course not. Uh, So the general principles do hold, but of course, we're simplifying quite a bit. Um, Specifically, there's multiple resources that are needed to get projects done, and and three of the main ones are calendar time, labor time, and money, right? So a lot of times when people talk about how long a project takes, um, they mess up whether it's calendar time or labor time. So labor time is like you gotta put in 10 hours to do something, and then calendar time is like you submit something for approval to the App Store and you gotta wait for Apple to get back to you. Um, You give something to your professor, you give your uh, research paper to your professor for them to review, you gotta wait for the professor to get back to you, you submit it to the academic journal, you gotta wait for the academic journal to get back to you. So that's calendar time, um, as opposed to labor time. And calendar time is what bites a lot of people. first. A lot of times people just don't pay attention to the fact that there's calendar time delays. And second, sometimes something's going to take a week because it takes however many hours and t- you think it'll take you about a week to get done on the labor time. Um, but then there's there's the calendar time and labor time play a little differently. And when people have calendar time delays, that's when they often get into trouble. Um, this is worth going much deeper on at a future time period. We'll talk about short term calendar delays momentarily. With long term calendar delays, you can kind of break things up in a milestone. So like you wait for, you know, the academic journal to get back to you and, and, and say if they need any changes or whatever. And then when you do as much as possible, then you single task that project. And if it's a sufficiently long way, you could do projects between then. There's a lot of complexity. Fair enough. Uh, we're going over the basics. Some people unilaterally for no reason start multiple projects at the same time. This is what we want you to stop doing or at least realize what's going on um, about that. Right. Of course, it's much more deeper and nuanced than this, but these are general principles that hold. All right. Second, well, I must do these multiple things. Uh, The first thing I'd say is, are you sure? Like, are you sure you have to do these multiple things? Um, And you have to do them in parallel. Again, if you have four university classes, there's nothing that says you need to work 10% on each of your term papers. You could just do one until it's done. Um, And that's a much better and safer state. You know, If you break your ankle or if you come down with pneumonia or whatever, then whichever papers are fully done, you can still hand in and pass those classes instead of getting an incomplete or a withdraw or a fail. Um, So I would would think about that first. you know, a lot of times people when they're building a company, it's like, oh, I got to work a little bit ineffectively and all those things. Sometimes you really do. And you got to, you know, kind of get operations running where each department is doing its part of the job at a company or or an organization, especially when it's just starting out. Um, but are you sure you can't just go really hard and get something online and running really well? Um, first in one area and then the next area. sometimes the answer is no, because there's, Calendar time, right? You set up some ads to do a test, then you got to wait a week to get the data as to how the ads perform. I mean, fair enough, um, and and we'll deal with that. But I would double check whether you could put a very serious effort onto one thing, and you know everything else can run the background a little bit. That doesn't mean you can't be taking a look at those ads once a week um, and such until you get the the data on them. If you're going to run them for a month or checking on them every couple of days or whatever, but think about that. And then, fine, if you really have to do multiple major projects at the same time, you're taking catastrophic risk, chance, you know, you're taking that chance of breaking your ankle, things go wrong, you know, right? You're losing the additional compounding time for like, I've just got one thing out the door and I'm getting the advantage of that. And you're paying the mental carrying costs and the switching costs. I mean, that's bad, but sometimes that's life. So sometimes you have to do that, but you want to be aware of that and look to mitigate that and avoid that as much as possible. And we talked about one project being much better than four, Well, I mean, two is also still better than four, right? So don't start seven things at the same time, for sure, right? I like a change of pace. Okay, I'm actually kind of sympathetic to that. And so is a gentleman named Peter Drucker, who's kind of like a godfather of modern management, really an expert on it and formalized a lot of management. Back in 1966, he wrote in a book called The Effective Executive, which is a great book, by the way. We'll link this in the show notes. Um, We'll quote him, quote, the answer to the question, what needs to be done? almost always contains more than one urgent task, but effective executives do not splinter themselves. They concentrate on one task, if at all possible. If they are among those people, a sizable minority, who work best with a change of pace in their working day, they pick two tasks. I have never encountered an executive who remains effective while tackling more than two tasks at a time. End quote. Uh, he did a ton of studies and worked with a ton of executives in the United States and Europe and Japan and Latin America and other places. He, he knows what he's talking about. Two seems to be the upper bound limit. One is preferable to two, but if you got to go to two and that's your jam, OK, um, I've never encountered an executive who remains effective while tackling more than two tasks at a time. All right. So you need to change your pace. Two things, not seven. Seven is bad. And, and here we go. Here's the big, big problem. Right. There's downtime on these projects. I should do something Right. Well, so let's state that differently. I have some free time, so let me use it to hurt myself and make myself less effective. I have some extra money, let me go waste it, right? To be more charitable about it, a lot of times you'll have calendar time downtime on a project that's relatively short. So Lucas, who I was talking to, he's doing his uh, PhD in computer science. And uh, there's this super computer cluster thing that he needs a lot of computing power to go look at really, really huge, gigantic, enormous data sets. Um, and uh, you know, scheduling time on the machine, like he has to wait sometimes to get things done. And okay, if that's like six weeks until you wait, then okay, let's deal with that. But if it's like three or four days, I would emphatically, emphatically not start a new project of the same type, knowing that four days from now you're going to want to be back to it, you're going to, want to finish your paper, and you're going to want to submit it. Right. So what do you do with those four days? Well, now is a great time to do all the little stuff that people often don't get to. Right? So now's a great time to be like, okay, like, is your house clean? You know, if it's between January and, you know, whatever tax day is in your country, um, are your taxes done? You can get your taxes done in January, and that's like a two or three day thing, probably. Um, So ideally, you do stuff that's small that the decks are clear when you get your work back with the calendar time. And really, up to even a week of calendar time lag, I'm maybe doing small stuff um, ideally. Uh, to fill that time. If there's a gap, I'm not starting another research paper when the other research paper is not done, putting them both at a catastrophic risk chance, carrying costs, all sorts of problems, potentially losing the compound gains of the other thing. And like, then you get inspired. So let me use the supercomputer time on my second paper, not my first one, which is almost done. Not good. Right. And the more elaborate answer to this is it's a mix of project selection and discipline. Right. So if you have a short or a mid amount of time with you have your major project and you know your editor is going to get back to you with feedback on your book that you're then going to correct it's going to be a week or two um what, what do we select for the, that week or two that's a project selection question that's a little bit beyond the scope of this episode we can talk about that in the future um but you're getting good at project selection knowing okay i got a research paper that's 70 percent done i am not starting another research paper that would be a very bad project to select next but this would be a fine time you know maybe to go reboot my, my, my yoga habit. If I haven't been to yoga because I moved cities. So let me find a yoga studio and I can just start going in the background. That's not going to really super compete. If you were already doing yoga and you just need to find a new yoga studio. So it's a fine thing to do. I don't have time. I, whatever. Well, just don't start the next thing. And now you have time to do stuff like that or get ahead of schedule, get your email emptied, get your house clean, get your files cleaned up, get your taxes done and stuff like that. This is great stuff to do, um, in those downtimes. And then also in addition to product selections, discipline, right? It's like, yeah, I got free time, but I'm not going to be greedy here when I've got one major project. It's going to have a lot of success if it goes through. I don't want to mess that up and put that project at risk. So I'll take three days at slightly lower, you know, theoretical maximum yield to not put my, my big project at risk. And if your project that is, that is waiting, that's in calendar time is not that important. So you like, don't care. Then why'd you select that in the first place? I know life's not that simple and sometimes you get stuck, but Um, worth thinking about. And the final objection, I can get away with this because I'm talented enough. Uh, Maybe you can, maybe you can, but that doesn't change the math of all of us are exposed to catastrophic risk chances, you know, major illnesses, emergencies, uh, whatever. Um, All of us get compounding gains from a lot of our projects when they get complete and all of us pay some degree of carrying costs. And if you're like a master switch between projects ninja, then that's lower, but you know, it's still worth recognizing those things and still worth being as close to serial as possible as you could be on your projects in normal cases. But, you know, at the end of the day, okay, fine. You know, you first learn all the rules, you understand this, and then you deal with it. And, you know, again, if you're working with other people and you're, you've got teams, so you're a manager or an executive not all of the supplies. If you've got an organization that's more mature, not all of the supplies, but even in mature organizations, you know, if there's one project you're paying a lot of attention to, the odds of that project succeeding are about as high um, as it can be. And if you've got seven projects you're trying to pay attention to as an executive, it's like, well, the chance that something slips through the cracks and goes off the rails on one of those projects is a lot higher Again, sometimes you can't get away from it, but it's worth recognizing those as first principles. We could diverge from them from time to time if we have to, but we don't want to or we should not want to, ideally, uh, in most cases, if we want to be as effective as possible. So practically speaking, what's this actually look like? Well, flipping this a little bit, whenever I get the sense that somebody's keeping things moving like it, it drives me crazy. I hate it. When I realize I'm doing that, it drives me crazy and I hate it. Right. So you want to finish things, not keeping things moving. So it's like, oh, I'm working on this a little bit. I'm working on that a little bit. I'm, I'm working on it. It's like, Hey, how's that thing going? Well, I'm working on it. It's like, no, why isn't it done? So whenever you find yourself keeping things moving, you want to finish things, right? And you want to finish things because then you get the gains of finishing it. You, the risk goes away if it's really done and out in the world that it's going to catastrophically fail. Um, that goes down. And you get the compound gains. And then you get the bandwidth back. You stop paying the carrying costs on thinking about the project, the context switching, the reloading, and things like that. So finish things. Don't keep them moving. And get them out the door. And if you only have one project, and you're not going to start the next thing until it's done. And sometimes the next project is really cool and you want to do it. That actually gives a great impetus to finishing the first project, getting it done, and that builds the skill of finishing, and so on. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to nail down exactly because everybody's in different professions and fields. But I think it's like one major thing at a time right? So, you know, you absolutely can have like a major fitness plan. You could be training in running, um, or in powerlifting or in a sport, um, and working on a creative project at the same time. That's totally fine. Um, I wouldn't start both of them if they're brand new at the same time, because now we're, that's using the same kind of competing, learn, think about it, research resource. So, you know, if you've got your running plan on rails, you do your mileage every week, you go running, you're good, then yeah, you can, you can keep running obviously, and then do a creative project, do a professional project, do a software project, whatever. Um, if you were just starting a software project, I wouldn't also take up running at the same time. Like I just spread it out two weeks, a month. Um, I'd really get one of them into the groove fully, um, before starting the next one. It doesn't mean you can't go for a light run or whatever, but I wouldn't get hardcore intense, newly starting it while other things are newly starting. And there's exceptions to this. You move to a new city, you want to get a running plan going, you want to go apartment hunting and you want to do whatever. But, you know, I see that people do a good apartment hunting, like just do that until it's done. And they get their place all set up until that's done. Then they go get their running plans installed. You can keep running a little bit while you do that, you know, but if that was brand new and you weren't running and you're kind of like, okay, let me make sure I get my form dialed in. Let me learn the mileage. Let me get all the plans done. Make sure I don't get injured. You know, like this kind of competes a little bit. Right. So like one major thing and like one thing of its category, right? So. Again, if you have like a you know major research project where Lucas needs to use his supercomputer stuff, you definitely shouldn't do something that also takes supercomputer time at the same time, if at all possible, right? I mean, maybe, you know, you get an urgent request from somebody or colleague and you're helping them out or whatever, but like it's it's bad and like, you know, it's bad, but you know, you don't want to do that. Sometimes you get kind of forced to, I would even question whether that's true, but you try not to, right? That said, you could join a local club As like an evening activity, local book discussion thing, local programming meetup, board game thing, whatever. Like you could do that if that's like an evening leisure time thing and doesn't conflict or compete with your supercomputer usage time, right? Um, Probably not a good idea to start training for two sports at the same time that conflict with each other. Not cross training, but things that have different physiological adaptations and training scheduled to them. That's probably not a good idea. But, you know, you could run a fitness plan that is, you know, something you do in the afternoon and have your really intense morning writing. So you never really want to have two things of the same category. If you can help it, sometimes you can't. Um, certainly, you know, even if you're, uh, you know, manager, right. Having people work on multiple of like the same type of thing, um, but they're different and they're not harmonized. is like, uh, like sometimes you need to, but like, can you not do that? So Thinking about that, like one major thing is category or like one major thing total, and then like no more than one thing per category that conflicts or competes for that type of attention or time or resource. I do think stuff in the background is okay, right? So like if you just started writing a novel, I probably wouldn't take up a brand new sport at the same time. But like if you you know get into soccer and you're playing soccer regularly and that's just like a background thing that you do. You know, or if your novel writing is well underway, then I think that's okay. Because starting new things does, to some extent, compete um, with it. There's exceptions, but there you go. Um, and then after that, it's really just practice, right? So there's, there's all kinds of skills that people don't realize are skills. I think project selection, right? Choosing what projects to work on is a skill. I think being disciplined about saying, yes, I would love to do that but I can't do it right now, I'm going to wait a couple weeks, is a skill. Now, again, sometimes you're in the middle of, you know, doing some job hunting, let's say, And then you get a a great, great, great opportunity to apply for graduate school. You thought you weren't going to go, but it looks great and the deadline's in three days. Sometimes you got to jump off onto that and go, let me put in that grad school application. It'd be with a grant. It'd be fully funded. It's in a super cool city. It's exactly what I'd like to do. All right, maybe I'll do that. So that gets kind of blended. It will mess up your job search. Um, It happens, right? Uh, But... Let's say it's like three like it's three months until the applications are due and you're in the middle of job hunting right now. I might get all of your applications in all your resume stuff done, all that stuff done and then say once all that's done, then I'll put in the application, uh, you know, for for grad school right? Cause I got three months. I can, I can schedule across it. So I will be deep in the hiring process and have all of the stuff under my control done before I move on to the application. You serialize it. You do as good of a job as you can of connecting with all the organizations you'd like to work at. Then you go on and you fill out your, like, here's my essay. Here's my, whatever the testing scores are to get into your type of grad school, whatever. You do those as separate things. Yeah, not always possible, but whenever possible, it's, it's desirable to do that. Certainly working on two pieces of writing at the same time is in general a bad idea, sometimes necessary or expedient, but in general, a bad idea. And then keeping in mind the math. So there's a lot of mathematics that just underlies a lot of life. And again, I think the catastrophic risk broken, argue, uh, broken ankle argument is just true, right? So, you know, if there's a chance that you get wiped out in any given week or month and all your projects fail, the projects that are done are, are safe from that. If they're done, they're shipped, they're out in the world, it's done. Right? The compound interest argument, you get projects done sooner, you get the gains from them, like life happens, good things happen. Uh, the carrying cost and switching thing, also real. So you don't want to think about this. You can kind of learn the math behind it. Then get a little more disciplined about project selection, you know, it's a skill. Um, it's a skill. It's a mentality as well, you know, about like, OK, let me be careful about this and, and make sure I don't get two project same types. You can get more skilled at that and more disciplined. You build a discipline around it. You get good at project finishing. Um, you understand kind of some of these mathematical trade offs that are lying in the background, even in a very qualitative field. Like if you're if you're making art, you know, you know, if at all possible, you know, one piece of art at a time. Now, maybe maybe things need to sit for a little bit for inspiration percolation, but I imagine the artists that get a major composition done and then move on to the next one probably have less art that just sits around forever unfinished um, and doesn't get out into the world. So think about this. Uh, I see this something that, that really is most likely to bite ambitious and highly motivated people who are locally very effective. They have good work sessions. Right, they have good work sessions, but it's just not adding up to as much because they got too much going on at the same time. And you could do the same amount of stuff, just do one thing, get it done, then do the next thing, get it done. There's really good mathematical and behavioral and skill-based reasons to do that. Uh, more resources, less risk, less cost. So have a think on that. It's very important for some people. This might be really just uh you know, old hat. And maybe you already know this, if you're mature in your field, something people tend to learn eventually. Right. Cause it's really stunningly obvious. Once you get into kind of bandwidth, hell and you got multiple projects at the same time and you're juggling and stuff. It's like, man, I was just doing one of these all in. And like, if I had to wait for two days for somebody to get something back to me, that's a great time. to Make sure my email's empty and my taxes is done. Things like that. Right. So single, serialize and single task your projects as much as possible. Not always possible, but less is more here. And that doesn't mean you do less stuff in life. That means you do one thing until it's done. And then you do the next thing until that's done. You'll actually wind up doing more things in life. Have a think about it. Good luck and Godspeed in your work and your life. Thank you for joining me today and take care.